True Crime Broads with Crystal and Renee. We live in the age of smart technology. Smartphones, TVs, cameras, and other devices that behave almost intuitively with features such as face detection. This rapid technological growth has led to advances in video and DNA technology that have made it possible to solve crimes that have been cold for decades. With such advances in technology, it seems almost unthinkable that any case could remain unsolved for very long, especially when the killer is recorded on video. A Texas mother was brutally slain inside a church and her killer was recorded on CCTV, but the lengths the killer went to to conceal their identity begged the question, was this a burglary gone wrong or a carefully targeted attack? I'm John Lorden and today we explore the seriously mysterious and still unsolved murder of Terry Missy Beavers. On August 9, 1970, James and Norma Strickland welcomed their second child, a baby girl named Terry Leanne. Terry Leanne, often called Missy, was born in the small town of Graham, Texas. She grew up about 28 miles northeast in Jacksboro with her older brother Clifford and her younger brother Clint. Her relationship with her brothers was playful and antagonistic, as is the case with most siblings. Even from an early age, Missy was described as incredibly friendly to everyone she met, and she never hesitated to lend a helping hand. Missy graduated from Jacksboro High School in 1988 and attended several colleges before settling at Tarleton State University, where she earned her bachelor's degree in science in 1995. After graduation, she worked in retail for a brief time before meeting her husband-to-be, Brandon Beavers, in 1996. After a long courtship, the couple married on June 20, 1998. Wanting to pursue a career that would allow her to help others, Missy decided to return to school and obtain a teaching certificate in special education. Upon completion, she gained employment with Red Oak ISD, independent school district, and taught students with special needs until she had her first child, Hannah, in March of 2001. The couple decided at this point that Missy would remain at home to raise their daughter. While Missy loved her students, she believed that staying at home would allow her to be the best possible mother to baby Hannah. In 2003, Brandon and Missy welcomed their second daughter, Allison, into the world, and four years later, in 2007, they had their third and final child, Sarah. The family made their home in Red Oak, Texas, where Missy devoted all her time to her family. As her children grew older and more independent, Missy found that she had more free time on her hands. Having become increasingly interested in fitness in recent years, she chose to pursue that passion by obtaining a fitness trainer certification through the International Sports Sciences Association. With this certification, Missy became an instructor with Camp Gladiator a fitness program that focused on total body transformation. Because she had a passion for helping others, she excelled in this new role. On the evening of April 17, 2016, noticing that it was supposed to rain the next day, Missy made a Facebook post that read, If it's raining, 
we're still training, and instructed her students to meet at the Creekside Church of Christ at 5 a.m., where they would have cover under the front awning of the church. That night, Missy spoke with her husband Brandon, who was in Biloxi, Mississippi for his annual fishing trip with a group of friends. He told her that he loved her as she prepared for bed. This phone call would be the last time that Brandon would hear his wife's voice. In the early morning hours of Monday, April 18, 2016, Missy's students arrived at the Creekside Church of Christ to attend the Camp Gladiator Endurance class that had been scheduled for 5 o'clock. Upon entering the church, they found Missy unresponsive, with injuries to both her head and her chest, surrounded by broken glass. A panicked call was made to 911 at around 5.06 a.m., and authorities and emergency personnel rushed to the scene. Sadly, Missy Beavers was already deceased. Police secured and searched the building, but did not locate an intruder. The church had a number of motion-activated cameras on site, and Midlothian police reviewed this footage, hoping to find clues as to who had done this to Missy. What was found in the footage was chilling. At approximately 3.50 a.m., an intruder was seen on video, their face and gender obscured by what appeared to be tactical gear with the word police emblazoned on their back. The individual roamed the hallways of the church, opening doors, sometimes entering, and other times only peering inside. The intruder carried what appeared to be a claw hammer in their left hand, which they used to break several glass doors and attempted to use to pry open locked doors within the church. Although Missy's autopsy has never officially been released, a statement from the medical examiner later revealed that the wounds on Missy's head and chest were consistent with the tool the suspect was carrying throughout the building. If that wasn't terrible enough, information that I found in public FBI databases suggested there might have been a shooting as well. Aside from the attire worn by the intruder, authorities noticed something else unusual about their appearance. This individual walked with a very distinct gait, their feet pointed outward with each step. Later that afternoon, the Midlothian Police Department held a press conference in which Police Chief Carl Smith and Police Captain John Spann outlined the events of that morning and fielded questions from the media. After giving a description of the suspect and his, or her, unusual gait, they announced that a portion of the surveillance footage would be released that day, and urged the public to carefully watch the footage and to come forward with any information as to who the suspect on the video might be. The seven-second clip was circulated among local and national news outlets. The bizarre circumstances surrounding Missy's murder would shock the country and cause armchair detectives to take notice going over every second of the footage with a fine-tooth comb. While the public was quick to point the finger at Missy's husband, Brandon, police were able to confirm through plane tickets and eyewitness corroboration that he was indeed in Biloxi, Mississippi at the time of the murder. It was not until he received a phone call from the husband of one of Missy's students that he became aware of his wife's death and returned to Texas. A mere 15 minutes after arriving home, Brandon was accosted by a reporter who was eager to capture his reaction to the horrific murder of his wife of 17 years. In the interview, Brandon appeared uncomfortable and sniffled occasionally, talking about the kind of woman that his wife had been and the impact that she had in her community through her work with Camp Gladiator. Brandon would go on to conduct an impromptu press conference the following day, 
As reporters gathered, he informed them that he did not wish to do interviews, but rather to make a one-time statement regarding his wife and the murder. He stated, in terms of obtaining a story to pull at heartstrings and stuff like that, I'm not looking here for the media to sensationalize a tragedy. Brandon spoke briefly about the type of mother, wife, and woman that Missy had been and urged the public to watch the surveillance footage. The person has a very distinct walk. There's just a very distinct mannerism about this person that should be very apparent to somebody, he said. That night, a candlelight vigil was held outside Long Branch Elementary School. Many of Missy's fellow Camp Gladiator trainers attended, and Brandon addressed them directly. You guys embody the spirit of my wife. You all are so dedicated to what you do, and my wife was dedicated. I was not terribly good at praising my wife for what she did, and that is one of my regrets. When I think of Missy, I will think of Camp Gladiator and vice versa, he said. On September 21st, Midlothian police posted a still image of a light-colored Altima that had been recorded on surveillance entering the parking lot of SWFA, a nearby hunting and outdoor store. The recording was captured at approximately 2 a.m. on the morning of the murder. Police stated, however, that the vehicle was not a suspect vehicle. Eight months later, SWFA would post the surveillance footage to their YouTube channel in the hopes someone might recognize the vehicle. In the footage... The Altima is seen turning off their headlights as they enter the parking lot and then idling in a parking space for approximately three minutes before cutting the headlights back on and pulling back out onto the highway. While the public has speculated that the driver of the vehicle could be related, at least in part, to the murder, this has never been confirmed as neither the vehicle nor the driver have ever been located. On Monday, April 23rd, hundreds of friends and family members gathered at the Cowboy Church in nearby Waxahachie, Texas, for Missy's memorial service. Both current and former students from Missy's Camp Gladiator classes wore red shirts and workout clothing in honor of their beloved fitness instructor. Also in attendance at the service were FBI agents and Midlothian PD, who were carefully scanning the crowd to see if any of the attendees moved or behaved like the suspect seen on surveillance. After the service, family and friends said goodbye a final time as Terry Missy Beavers was laid to rest at Shiloh Cemetery in Ovilla, Texas. On April 27th, police released an affidavit to the media regarding an evidentiary search warrant. This warrant had been granted on April 22nd after an employee of the Dry Cleaner Supercenter of Midlothian called police to report that Randy Beavers, Brandon's father, had dropped off a dress shirt that was stained with blood. Authorities seized the shirt and had it sent off for DNA testing. Upon learning of the phone call, both Randy and Brandon addressed the media in front of the police station on April 28th, hoping to explain and dispel any misperceptions. According to Randy, he and his wife had been staying with a family member in the area after Missy's murder so they could be there for Brandon and their grandchildren. It was during this stay that his wife's beloved chihuahua, Kilo, was attacked by the family member's larger dog. After the attack, they rushed Kilo to a veterinary hospital, but he sadly didn't make it. Rather than being frustrated by the investigation into the blood on the clothing, both Brandon and Randy praised law enforcement 
for being so quick to act on the phone call from the dry cleaners. Quote, by them doing this, it tells me that they're being diligent and doing their job on any little tiny whatever that comes across. It's being looked at. And it should be, Randy said. While the public seemed temporarily placated in regard to the bloody shirt while awaiting the results of the DNA testing, suspicion toward Randy quickly grew for another reason entirely. Viewers of the interview were quick to note a striking similarity that Randy Beaver shared with his daughter-in-law's killer. Both Beavers and the killer's gait was very similar. Brandon would later address the public accusations that his father was the killer by explaining that his father has a documented diagnosis of ankylosing spondylitis, a medical condition in which vertebrae of the spine fuse together. This is significant as the killer was seen angling their head and neck upward in surprise when coming across one of these split Dutch doors in the church. Randy's medical condition would likely prevent him from moving his head and neck in that matter. Further doubt was cast on the public's theories of his involvement as Randy Beavers had an airtight alibi that authorities confirmed through cell phone records, eyewitness corroboration, and social media postings. Randy and his wife Vicki were more than 1,000 miles away in Oceanside, California at the time of the murder. DNA testing results would come back later, showing that the blood on the shirt Randy had taken to the dry cleaners was, in fact, animal blood. In the days and weeks following the murder, authorities sought and were granted a number of other warrants for numerous personal effects belonging to Missy, including her truck, phone, and iPad, as well as her Facebook and LinkedIn accounts. A warrant was also sought for AT&T for all cell tower data within a five-mile radius of the church, specifically between the hours of 3 and 5 a.m. on the morning of the murder. This warrant gave a target list of nine phone numbers, two of which belonged to Brandon Beavers and his father, Randy Beavers. The list also included numbers for fellow fitness instructor A.J. Tucker, with whom she had attended a Camp Gladiator conference only a few days prior. Tucker's wife was on this list as well, and while this was most likely the result of a shared cell phone plan, many felt that she fit the suspect's description due to a heavier build and a foot injury that caused her to walk with a similar gait to what was seen in the footage. However, none of the individuals named on the target list were found to have been within the specified radius that morning. In Missy's LinkedIn records, authorities found deleted messages between Missy and another man that were flirtatious and familiar in nature. The two had been exchanging messages since January of 2016. And while this led many to wonder if an extramarital affair might be a motive for the murder, this individual was never named a suspect. A friend of Missy's told authorities that less than three days before the murder, Missy had shown her a creepy and strange message from a man on LinkedIn. The sender was unknown to both women, and the friend was unable to recall the username of the individual. It is unclear if the message was ever recovered by police. After Missy's funeral, tips poured in, pointing law enforcement in the direction of a disgraced former law enforcement officer named Bobby Wayne Henry. Henry had been fired from the Lancaster Police Department after being charged with sexual assault. Tipsters stated that Henry had worked security at Missy's funeral. It was reported that he owned tactical gear similar to what the suspect wore in the video. According to a probable cause warrant dated 
December 13th, Henry also owned a dark brown 2014 Honda CRV, which closely matched the description of a vehicle a passerby had seen leaving the Creekside Church of Christ on the morning of the murder. Bobby admitted to owning tactical gear, but told authorities that the chest piece no longer fit him. While there appeared to be too many similarities to be a coincidence, a search warrant executed on his property turned up nothing that could tie Bobby Wayne Henry to Missy or the murder, and authorities found his alibi to be believable. Though Henry ended up being cleared of the murder, the search and seizure of his electronic devices resulted in his arrest for possession of child pornography. In the five years that have passed since Missy's murder, groups have popped up across various social media platforms such as Facebook and Reddit, attracting thousands of members eager to dissect the footage, statements, and the people closest to Missy, pointing fingers in all different directions. And while communities on social media often come together with the best of intentions to collectively work towards solving a murder or simply spreading awareness, these efforts can be counterproductive, and these groups often contain individuals who do not proceed with caution or respect. In January of 2017, the Dallas Observer published an article outlining instances in which members of such groups have directly contacted the family, ran background checks on people related to Missy, even going so far as to broadcast the address of a former person of interest. They need to remember that these are people with families, said Midlothian Assistant Police Chief Kevin Johnson. While it seemed things had gone quiet, authorities announced in January of 2018 that a new lead investigator, Anthony Vaughn, was assigned to the Missy Beavers murder case and was assembling a team of fresh eyes to review evidence, investigate tips, and re-interview individuals. It was not until April of this year that we learned that the FBI had consulted Dr. Michael Nirenberg, a forensic podiatrist, to study the footage and offer his expert opinion of the killer's identity. Nirenberg has provided expert testimony in a number of criminal trials across the country, helping to secure convictions and exonerations. After analyzing the surveillance footage of Missy's killer, Nirenberg had a law enforcement officer put on similar clothing to what the suspect wore and then observed them walking both with and without the armor. He also tried this method himself. Dr. Nirenberg states that while there has been a large emphasis on the strange way in which the killer walks on the footage, this gait is not as uncommon as the public believes. Nirenberg was ultimately unable to determine the gender of the suspect. You can't make a determination if it's a male or female because of variation in gait, he stated. Two women have started a podcast focusing on Missy's case and trying to keep awareness raised to it. I'd like to welcome Crystal and Renee from the show True Crime Broads. Hey, Crystal and Renee, thank you so much for joining us here on Seriously Mysterious. And to start things off, uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about True Crime Broads? Well, thank you so much for having us, John. We, um, Renee and I met as a result of this case. We met in the Missy Beavers discussion groups and Facebook. So a lot of people have assumed that we've known each other for years and years and years. Actually, no, we just hooked up in those groups and got to be really good friends because we were both the type of person that was picking apart every piece of evidence and every piece of information and wanting to talk about it. So when we discovered each other, it was fantastic. We had someone to talk to. Absolutely. So um, we didn't plan on having a podcast at all. That came, um, what was it, Renee, at the three-year mark? We decided, or four-year mark. 
Yeah, fe- uh, February 15th of 2020. Yeah, we were at the four-year mark. And, you know, we didn't sign up to follow this case for that long. We thought it would be solved in the first month. So we just sort of said to each other one day, we said, we've got piles and piles and piles of notes and research we've done. Why don't we share this with people? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a case where uh, I think the sustained exposure is an important thing because it could easily just fade into the background. Uh, you know, I've been waiting for major updates on it so that I could talk to my audience again about it. And uh, thankfully, we have Seriously Mysterious where we're able to do something like that, you know, kind of retread a story that I did on YouTube previously. But um, is there a moment in particular that stands out for you since you've started doing the podcast, something that just touched you or that you're particularly proud of? Maybe a discovery you found, something like that? Uh, let's start with uh, Crystal. You know, um, after a while, we got to know Missy's husband, Brandon, and he has really gotten a lot of flack in the uh, the Facebook groups. We call them the gossip groups because sometimes it's not about the facts of the case. It's about slamming individuals, unfortunately. So we have our own Facebook group now where we keep that to a minimum. But, um, you know, getting to know Brandon and knowing what he went through, you know, imagine your wife is brutally murdered out of the clear blue, perfectly healthy woman, and you're not expecting that. And then his three daughters were still very young at the time. All three of them were, a couple of them were in college now, but back then, five years ago, they were at home and they were completely destroyed by this, obviously, to lose their mom so suddenly. And just to think about everything he's been through. And then on top of it, hearing him describe how it felt on top of that, have the people of his community sort of giving him side eye, you know, there's people that think he might be involved and that's just devastating on top of this horrible tragedy. So that really touched me just sort of hearing his point of view. It's not just, you know, people chatting in Facebook groups. It's not that innocent. You know, he was actually out there in the world and he said some of the people looking at him that way were people he's known for a long time. He said that hurt the most. Um, Just it's amazing how people go directly to the husband did it because, I mean, let's face it, statistically, that usually is the case. Um, But we really believe in this case. He has nothing to do with it. And I it's just unfortunate that he has had to go ahead and take that criticism pretty publicly. Yeah, I received um, a message from him on a video uh, just earlier this year, and I, I kind of shot a reply to him, and I was just like, you know, Brandon, if there's anything we can do to help with raising exposure to this, you know, we're, we're here. Um, so yeah, I'm really thankful to hear that, and I'm seeing that he's doing some more interviews. I know the researcher and writer of today's episode uh, was able to find some pretty recent interviews that he's been doing on YouTube as well. So I really appreciate that he's still talking about it. Um, still trying to help with raising exposure. And I know for a while, Hannah also was kind of talking in social media and seems like she was, um, I think there was a competition she was doing where she was going to potentially win some money and then she was going to push that towards the investigation or something. Yes. And then Midlothian police declined the money. They said they didn't need it. Please use it for school. Yeah. But yes, she did. Bless her heart. She did try to use that money. She was an ag in high school and she had a pig that raised the money and she tried to offer that up to Midlothian police and they declined it and said, oh, you just please use that. We've got the money we need. You please use that for school. That was sweet. But yeah, yes, she has been out there. How about for you, Renee, a particular moment that stands out for you? You know, um, it, it kind of goes along with what, what um, Crystal said. You know, 
In, in doing an interview with Brandon back in April of 2016, uh, we did with WFAA, um, I learned a little something that he shared with me, and I just, I it really touched me. He explained to me that um, they have something at their house uh, called the Missy Table. And what it is, is basically they took a table and they put pictures of her uh, in order to honor her from the time, she, you know, she was a child until adulthood with, you know, friends and family the whole t- table is covered. And that's kind of where, I guess, whenever they're going through a tough time or whatever, they might get together and spend time together around this Missy table. And I just thought that that was absolutely precious. Um, you know, and it, it it is unfortunate that he has been through so much, you know, through this whole ordeal. Um, he talked a lot about that in the interview with them. And I just, that really touched my heart. I thought that was, um, it, it's just been really hard for him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, now you guys have also taken some, or you ladies, I should say, uh, have also taken some steps in the real world to try to help with this case. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, we were able to, um, we have been blessed, um, and been able to deal with crime stoppers. Um, of course, um, with donations along with our awesome listeners, we were able to get a billboard that is actually placed in Waxahachie. It's just, just outside of, um, it's in Ellis County, uh, right before you get to Rigger Springs, there is a billboard and, um, you know, it has the information, who to contact in case anybody has any tips or anything. Um, and then at a later time, we were also blessed with getting a hundred dollars uh, anonymous donation along with another 50000 We were able to update the billboard not long ago and add that to the billboard about the reward amount. So that has been really good. Um, and then also working with Crime Stoppers again, they funded doing playing cards that they distribute in the jails. They distributed those in Ellis County in July of 2021 and hopes that some of the prisoners will, you know, know some information, see that there's a reward and hopefully talk about it and get a tip that is needed to solve the case. I love that. I love that you guys are taking that approach and and helping in that way. That's, that's really special. And I I can't thank you enough for doing that. Um, Have there been any recent developments in this case? I mean, I've been keeping my eye out. I'm not seeing anything that's hitting big media, but you guys, you know, you're, you're a little closer with a little bit of an inside line, anything recent going on with it? Well, they have, uh, been looking at people and I don't, we just think, we think that they have the person in their sight lines. They just don't have enough to prosecute, you know, and make it stick. And I think once you make the arrest, the clock starts ticking, and I think they're waiting until they have enough evidence. I hope that they get enough evidence to make this stick and get a conviction. Um, it's, you know, it's easy to get discouraged. We're almost at the five and a half year mark now. Yeah. Trying not to get discouraged. Um, but I really think from the little bit of buzz that we're hearing that that's the case, that they've known who it is for quite a little while now, but yeah. they just don't have what it takes to prosecute. And, you know, you made a a great point. It's been it's been five and a half years. This is kind of a rare instance where you would even have video of a perpetrator that's so clear because you had them hanging out there for a prolonged period of time before it. What do you think is the has been the main stopping block with this case? Well, I think, number one, the the perpetrators covered from head to toe, they did an excellent job because honestly, professionals can't even agree on the gender. 
Right. Um, much less those of you know people like Renee and I that aren't uh, professionals. So they they did a really good job of concealing themselves, whoever this is. And I think that complicates it a lot on top of the gate. You know, everyone is saying, hey, the gate, even the police say, look at the gate. Do you know anyone who walks that way? But Renee and I agree. We've both come to think over the years that that gate might have been caused by wearing shoes that are too big. Yeah. Um, That kind of looks like the feet are disproportionately large for the body. So they might be stomping around in somebody else's tactical boots. So that gate may not exist out there in the real world. So what are we looking for? Probably someone who walks like us, normal. So um, I think that's a stumbling block. And I think the other one might just be the Midlothian police, um, no fault of their own. They just don't have a lot of homicide experience. That's a sleepy small town south of Dallas. Um, in Ellis County, just quiet. And they they do stolen bicycles, traffic tickets, make appearances at elementary schools and stuff like that. But they're not regularly, this isn't Philadelphia, Baltimore, New York. They're not regularly doing homicides, especially a complicated case like this one. Um, so I really think it's those two things, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, that and the fact that they, um, you know, uh, in the beginning, they thought, I think they really thought they knew who it was. So they spent a lot of time in the wrong direction, um, which which hurt the case. They weren't able to talk to the, probably the people that they were needing to talk to. And it kind of stirred them in the wrong direction and took away time doing probably the wrong thing, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, I, I really appreciate you've been so clear about the fact that, you know, you're not experts and the experts can't even figure this aspect of it out. But where where is your gut leaning in terms of do you think this is a man or do you think this is a woman i personally think this is a woman and i'll give i'll tell you why um there's a part um in the surveillance footage where the perpetrator and i think it's the very beginning where the perpetrator walks over to a door and they take out a, a crowbar from inside their vest and they put it inside the door and they start tapping on it with their hammer once they get done they put it back in their vest they turn around and they do this kind of a stance uh to kind of pop their hip out you know and to me that's more of a female thing so and then of course the walk to and then the you know, the uh, unusual gait that's caused by these oversized shoes that kind of always me to believe it's a female. Crystal? And I changed my mind over time. I always thought it was a male to begin first couple of years because I thought that is some swift and efficient delivery of violence that I just kind of think not to knock my gender and I might get hate in the comments, but just women tend to kind of slap more and maybe slip around. And maybe I just feel like this person gained control of her quickly and was able to get out of there quickly. And that just, I thought that just seems like something that a male would possibly be able to deliver that kind of quick violence and be able to do it efficiently like that and get lost. Um, But over time, there's been some information that seeped out about potentially there was a gun used on Missy. That's a game changer. Mm-hmm. You shoot her, then suddenly you do have control. So, um, and then also I started looking at the size, the height, and I just, you know, it's much statistically much more likely to be a female. And then just more and more clues over time. I totally agree with Renee. I think it was about year three that I came around to thinking it was a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate you spending this time with us. Um, Before we let you go, can you let the audience know where they can find you? 
We are on all the main podcasting platforms. We're on Spotify, um, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, you name it. I think we're on just about every single one by now. And um, Renee has kindly uploaded some of ours to YouTube, and um, but not they're not all there yet. So we're mostly a podcasting platform duo. And um, we also have a link tree um, that we can post and... We're on Instagram under True Crime Broads, Facebook page, True Crime Broads. And Renee, what's the name of our group again? You made the name and I sometimes forget it. <laughs> Missy Beavers, True Crime Broads discussion. There we go. Excellent. What's and I will put, I'll put a link to your link tree in the show notes for this episode for anyone that wants to go find Crystal and Renee from the True Crime Broad show. Once again, thank you so much for spending awesome. this time with us. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. Thanks for doing the Missy case. We appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate you. Thank you. Although there has not been much released publicly in years since the killing, authorities insist that Missy's murder is not a cold case by any means. In an informational release to the public this year, Assistant Police Chief Scott Brown said, Midlothian police investigators are determined to see this case reach closure. Our agency receives tips and leads almost daily from various sources. Our investigators follow up on every credible piece of information. Please know that we will continue to thoughtfully protect the release of information about Missy's murder as long as this case remains open. There has been substantial assumption about the case as it continues to receive nationwide attention. Missy was a beloved mother, wife, daughter, and sister. She and her family, as well as the Midlothian community, deserve our best efforts. If you have any information regarding the murder of Terry Missy Beavers, please contact the Crime Stoppers of Ellis County at 972-937-7297. Thank you, CBS News, Fox News, WFAA.com, Daily Mail, WaxahatchieTX.com, The Dallas Observer, Express Digest, and GumshoeStories.com for information contributing to today's story. Also, a special thank you to Crystal and Renee from True Crime Broads for joining in on the discussion. This episode was researched and written by Catherine Pear, edited by John Lorden, and is produced by Lorden Arts. Thank you to our audience here for the live recording session hosted on the Lord and Arts YouTube channel. Special thanks to Seriously Mysterious financial supporters Taz M, Anya Levinovskaya, Catlover33, Star Paradier, Shauna Blackwood, Misty Kate, Robert Martin, Crimson Topaz, Kayla Fofanoff, Katie, Lissy Cat, Arlene Jones, Chance Sky, Kelly Bliss, Good Hazard, Brits Krieg, and Jan on the Lamb. Most of all, Thank you for listening, and I hope you found today's episode seriously mysterious. I'm John Lorden. Please join me again next week. Cool. cool.
beat those back. Skirt off the block, twelve on the clock. I pay in cash. You do the math. I watch the bag. You check the tab. Why could you fast? You had a gas. Skirt off the block, twelve on the clock. I pay in cash. You do the math. I watch the bag. You check the tab. Why could you fast? You had a gas.